0: The Innovate 608 podcast is brought to you by Starting Block Madison and sponsored by the Wisconsin State Journal, Madison.com, and the American Family Insurance Institute for Corporate and Social Impact. The institute invests in visionary entrepreneurs who are building scalable social enterprises, offering economic opportunity for all, healthy youth development, learning, and academic achievement, and resilient communities. From the Starting Block Madison studio in the beautiful Capitol East neighborhood of downtown Madison, Wisconsin, this is the Innovate 608 podcast. And I am your host, Nora Rowan Schmidt. Today on the show, we have Nick Myers, founder and CEO of Red Fox AI, based in Madison, Wisconsin. Red Fox AI is a voice technology startup that helps biotech and life sciences organizations offer consumer at home medical testing products that leverage the innovation and innovative power of conversational AI. Nick, welcome. Hey
1: Nora, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm excited to to chat with you about so many different things I'm sure we'll get to in our our discussion here today.
0: Absolutely. It's such a pleasure to have you. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how Red Fox AI started. Did you have, you know, an aha moment at some point or was this a long process?
1: You know, that's a that's a really good question and, you know, especially with the technology that we work with. There are so many people in voice and conversational AI that kind of have a aha moment, I guess, for me. I'll try and keep the story of the company short. I mean, we've only been around for a couple of years, but even so there's so much that happened in that time. So really Me flash back to 2016 and I had just, of course, graduated college and I had my first full-time job working at a transportation company um, of all places, which was very good experience and became really good friends with the owners. Anyhow, um, my best friend and I leading up, you know, I should say throughout our friendship up through 2016 had always talked about starting a business, didn't really know what we wanted to do. And then ultimately, you know, I think it was just a day, maybe a couple months, I was into my full time job and I was on a walk. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to be able to work full time for somebody else forever. And I just knew that. And I went to Brett, my best friend, of course, who's now the CTO of our company. And I was like, hey, I want to start a company. He's like, all right, cool. What do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, we looked at our skill set. So, You know, my background formally was in marketing and communications, and I had done a lot of public speaking throughout college and even in high school, so I know I kind of had that skill set. But, you know, when looking at starting a digital marketing company, even in Madison, of course, in 2016, very saturated. A lot of people do it. That's not a bad thing, but you really have to figure out. How are we going to differentiate ourselves? So, looking at my past, I, I always loved technology, and one of my biggest regrets actually is in college not taking a computer science course because I felt like I would have rocked it um, <laughs> when I was in high school, and, and even before that, I taught myself basic coding and built some, you know, basic fun stuff. I always loved tearing apart computers and even, you know, built computers. So I always had an affinity for technology. So I thought. Well, if we're going to do digital marketing, how are we going to make that different? And ultimately, we got a hold of some market research and started looking at virtual reality. And this was back in you know late 2016 when there was a lot of hype going on over the Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive and some of these VR headsets. And we we're like, hmm, I wonder if this can be leveraged for marketing. Like, how can we create immersive content for brands? So we. Dove right into that, bought a 360 video camera, taught ourselves how to use it. Of course, just from the internet, because can do that, right?
0: Right, YouTube. <laughs>
1: um, actually got a couple customers out of that, learned a lot about VR. Um, but ultimately, as we were about a year into that, you know, all this market research that said VR was going to boom in like 2017 and 2018, it just, the writing was on the wall that it wasn't there yet. And I think we still you know, look at VR in 2021. And like, it's a really good technology that has progressed, but there's still a long way to go before, you know, it's adopted mainstream. So Brett ended up actually taking a step back from the business and we had, you know, digital marketing customers at the time. So I really had to take stock of, all right, here's my crossroads. Do I want to keep the company or do I want to just, you know, keep my full-time job, you know, and, hop from company to company because I just I'm not one of those people that can stay somewhere forever. Ultimately though, after talking with friends and family and other people that I trusted, you know, the consensus was it's what's it gonna hurt to just keep the business? And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. So I just kept it. And we're now in late 2017. And my mom had gotten me an Amazon Echo for Christmas. And of course, I had seen these things on TV. I had seen the commercials. I thought they were gimmicky. I'm like, what You know, what am I going to do with this thing? So after I got back from the holidays, we're now in January of 2018. And I remember setting it up on my kitchen counter. And it was one of those incredibly cold days that we get here in Madison, right? In the middle of <laughs> January, where your skin just feels like it's going to freeze off your body. And I remember standing in my bathroom and I was like, man, I'm really running low on toilet paper. So, you know, a couple things went through my mind. First thought was there is no way in hell I am going outside because <laughs> it was like negative 20 degree wind chill. I'm like not happening for toilet paper, which is funny now given what happened to the pandemic. But hey, right? <laughs> um, and then I pulled up my phone and I'm like, I could order it on Amazon. And then I split second thought crossed my head, and I, I, I said to myself, I wonder if that thing on my kitchen counter can order me toilet paper. So I said, Alexa, I need toilet paper. And in less than 30 seconds, Alexa had recommended me a 12-pack of Cottonelle for $5.36 discounted because I was using Alexa, and it was shipped to my doorstep in less than 24 hours. And that is my aha moment, and that's when I took a hard look at that technology and thought about it, and I was like, you know, this technology this has got to be a way to leverage this for marketing for brands. Because, of course, that was my background. We were still a digital marketing company at the time. So even before I got into voice and conversational AI, because I I like to tear things apart, I was like, how does Alexa work? So I just dove down the AI rabbit hole. um, And I just bought books and online courses from Microsoft and Amazon. I had some really good friends at Microsoft at the time who were giving me a lot of resources on artificial intelligence. Um, white papers, YouTube video, I mean, anything I could get my hands on because I thought AI was so fascinating, I just took it all in. Uh, So really, when it comes to my knowledge of artificial intelligence and the fundamentals of it, I am self-taught. And, you know, I I just couldn't get enough of it. And then ultimately is when I started diving into voice technology and conversational AI and really this the same thing, teaching myself everything from a design side, how the technology works and how to apply that. So really... In 2018, we decided to, I should say I at the time, decided to shift the company to focus solely on voice technology and conversational AI. 2019, of course, I started gaining some traction. I started developing a very robust public speaking career in 2018. Started out at Social Media Breakfast Madison, a couple months later is at a national conference in Chicago, and then in 2019 was traveling the US and went to Australia and Thailand to keynote events, and it was a whirlwind. But um, ultimately in 2019, Brett came back, who was the friend I started Red Fox with and was like, so I so see you're in this voice stuff now. Like, this seems to be, there seems to be something here. How can I get involved? And I was like, do you know how to computer program? And he said, no. I'm like, well, I guess that's what you're going to learn how to do. (laughs) (laughs) So in 2019, uh, Brett just kind of hit the books and taught himself how to build applications for Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant. Um, And of course, we had some customers and we were building Alexa skills and Google Actions for. And then, you know, as we're working through 2019, we're getting a lot of traction, we're getting some notoriety. My public speaking career is taking off. Of course, start of 2020 is when I decide, all right, I'm going to transition out of my full-time job to run Red Fox full-time. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have changed the name. It originally started at Red Fox Creative. We are now Red Fox AI, and we changed the name at 2019. And right as I transitioned out of my job in 2020, well, we all know what happened.
0: Pandemic time. <laughs> the, yeah.
1: The pandemic hit um so really in 2020 it was just a lot of where are we at with the company what direction are we going in what do we actually want to do we experimented with a couple different things we actually tried starting a grocery delivery service e-commerce company and brett built a voice ordering system for alexa so you could order these pre-packaged grocery boxes that we were putting together through alexa through a couple other things at the whiteboard And then ultimately, as we were coming out of 2020 into 2021, we landed on what we were going to do. And I I really took a hard step back and and thought about this experience I had as a kid. Um, I'm a survivor of childhood cancer. I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia at the age of eight. And I thought about this experience I had where while undergoing chemotherapy treatments, both in the hospital and at home, I had a very hard time taking oral medication like just couldn't do it would psych myself out you know it just wasn't working so my doctors approached my parents and said well chemo has to get in them somehow at home so they shipped them you know injections to, to give me right and maybe they got like 15 to 20 minutes at the hospital to train them on how to do this which looking back on that, it's like that seems pretty short to train you know two people who have no medical background on how to do this so ultimately, when the chemo showed up at our doorstep and I remember just sitting in our bathroom, my parents were dressed like, you know, like it was hazmat because, you know, you, you don't with chemo, you, you, you don't know. They're trying to, to protect themselves and protect me. And of course, right as they're about to give me these injections, you know, you're a parent, a million and one questions start popping up. And of course, there were no instructions and the only reference point they had was Was their training that took place three weeks prior in the hospital? So I just remember sitting there and I remember them scrambling, calling the hospital, which I kid you not, Nora, took a very painful and long 40 plus minutes.
0: Oh, I believe it. For
1: them to use the awful phone system that kept sending them to the wrong place and being bounced between departments until. More than 40 minutes later, they finally got a hold of my doctors just to get some simple questions answered and get some instructions on how to give these chemo injections to their son to save his life. And I'll never forget that and the look on their face and just the stress. So I thought about that experience and I went to Brett and I'm like, I wonder if we can solve this problem using conversational AI because I did some basic research and, you know, the evidence is there and the data is there that at-home medical testing and home health care is just blowing up. It was before the pandemic. Pandemic only accelerated that. And uh, I, I thought to myself, theres I'm sure there's got to be millions of people that are still having these issues, and there are with a lot of the data and, and research that we did. So in early 2021, this year, we started scoping out, you know, if we built a custom digital assistant, conversationally high-powered platform to solve this problem, what would that look like? So we scoped it out um, early in quarter one. Brett went to work building it in quarter two, and halfway through quarter three, we had a functioning product.
0: It's a pretty remarkable turnaround, (laughs) honestly. Yeah.
1: I, I, I cannot speak highly enough of the work Brett did to get this to happen. And of course, you know, we're still refining things, and I think we always will be. But the fact that we started designing and coming up with the product earlier in the year and halfway through the year, we actually had the product done and we did a launch of that in August. Like it still blows my mind. Um, and of course we're actively selling it now and actively acquiring customers and, um, trying to work with biotech and life sciences organizations that offer at-home medical tests, which, you know, I mean, I went to the FDA's website, you know, a couple weeks ago, and there's hundreds of approved COVID-19 tests alone on their website. So there is a market for this, and it's only going to grow. I think I read that by either 2025 or 2027, it's going to be a seven billion dollar market alone just for at-home medical testing. So we know there's a market here for this, and we know the technology and the platform we built, which we call VLab, can solve that problem. So that's really the story and yeah. the evolution of. Yeah, what an
0: inspiring of- story. Right. You know, it's it's great. What a lot of ups and downs and all around, and it sounds amazing. So thank you. Great. Now I'm really curious. You're doing incredible work. You're working out of Madison. You have done lots of traveling. You're speaking in other places. Why Madison for the the home for your startup, and why why Wisconsin? What's what's special about it?
1: Yeah, no, that that's a great question, Nora. And, and I'm gonna be real. You know, even before you know we built V Lab and. and and all this that happened this year back in 2019 I was very close very close to picking up and moving to Seattle and and no real reason behind it other than I had gone there a couple times for speaking and you know I I toured Microsoft's campus and you know it was just so tech focused out there I'm like is this something we really want to build in Wisconsin but of course going through you know where we were at in the time in 2019 and heading into 2020, it just became more evident that Madison seemed like a better spot for us. And especially as we started thinking about the healthcare IT space, it just became abundantly clear. Um, And I started getting really connected with Wisconsin Technology Council and just meeting people in the entrepreneurial space that showed us, I mean, me specifically, I guess, that there is support here. There's a lot of opportunity here. And then As I started doing more research, too, I'm I'm huge on AI and the future of work and and how that's going to impact everything, you know, top down um, over the next 10 years. It became abundantly clear that there's going to be a shift happening from the east and west coast moving more inland towards the Midwest. I mean, we can see that right now happening with Texas, right? And I think it's clear that we look at Madison, and Madison over the last 10, 20 years has become this hub of biotech and life science startups and, and really, you know, technology in general, which has been fascinating to see. So looking at all of that, you know, it was it was clear that we have a home here in Madison to try to grow the company and the resources are here to help us do that. And really, I think there is a lot of opportunity in Wisconsin, you know, you look at Madison alone, we have one of the top-rated public midwestern research universities in the country and the talent is there because these students come in from all over the country to learn and study and there's talent there and you want to try and keep that talent here especially when you're looking from a computer science side with the development work that we need or even just you know looking at Epic being here and the people that they bring in and recruit, and then when they transition out of Epic, these people already have a lot of experience in healthcare IT, so it seems like a lot of them are going to start startups, or they're working for startups, or they're trying to do something to keep that going because of all the experience they gained. So I think for us, that is why we have chosen to remain in Madison, and we, have, we, we truly believe there is a bright future here, especially since joining Starting Block in April, like I The resources that we have been given just from joining Starting Block and the people we've met have been game changing for us. Um, So that's That's fantastic. I'll buy
0: you lunch later for that one. (laughs) Thank you.
1: But but it's true. And you know, you look at Wisconsin, and you know, we're not known for technology, right? And I think we have a long way to go, but we're getting there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Especially looking at you know. This, this true triangle of innovation if we want it between Madison and Green Bay and you know the Fox, what is that area called Fox, Fox Valley Fox yeah. Valley area and down to Milwaukee, like we have an opportunity there with that. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, definitely I think you can see it happening a bit, but I'd like to see it happen more, of course, I think we all would. but there is an opportunity for Wisconsin to have a true triangle of innovation there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and
0: I think there are some grassroots efforts that are starting to make that more of a reality, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah. So, but that's that's why we're in Madison, and I mean, also I have family roots here. My grandparents lived in Middleton since the late '90s. I have an aunt and uncle who live up in Lodi. I've been here since the '80s. So there's familiar connections. Of course, I have really good friends here and everything too. But you know, looking at from the company standpoint, the support and the resources are here for us to grow. Um, and of course, it was really inspiring to go to Early Stage Symposium last week and actually see that. You know, there are people who are willing to invest here, albeit probably a bit more conservative with investing, but investing nonetheless. So if we do, you know, hopefully I shouldn't say we do, when we get to the point where we'll need some capital, there are options to do that as well, which is Mm -hmm. something I thought about.
0: Well, and since you just mentioned capital and investing, that's something many of our listeners are in the early stages of their startup. Um, And one of the things that is the most intimidating is financial and approaching investors for the first time, Mm -hmm. how to do it, best practices. Where are you in that journey? And what is some advice that you can give to some of the listeners about um, best practices for approaching a table full of people you've never met before that hold the keys to your next step
1: yeah, no that that's a great question and I'll 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 start by saying <laughs> I'm very new to it myself like you know so far we've been self-funded you know we've been lucky enough to be in that position where we have a part of the company from the digital marketing days that still produces all of our cash flow so we've been able to work on the tech side of the business and create Vlab and 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 take care of business with our cash flow instead of having to go directly to investors, even do, you know, that initial investment to build the product. But, you know, I think, you know, what we were talking about before we started recording here is for me, you know, I think the hardest part about entering the investment world and meeting with some of those people is just, it seems like it's in such a black box if you're not a part of it or if you've never been a part of it. But going to early stage symposium last week, I think broke that black box down a bit for me and and showed me that, you know, sure, these people want to return on their investment, but they also really want to help. Like if they believe enough in a company, you know, it's more than just handing you a paycheck. It's the mentorship, it's the resources. And that's the feeling I got from talking with some of those people. And that really helped paint a good picture for me of what talking to future investors could be like and you know i think at the end of the day a lot of that too just comes down to communication skills like as a founder especially or as a a ceo in a smaller company it's from from somebody who's even done so much public speaking i have had a lot of issues the last few months Trying to retrain my brain how to feel comfortable talking to people from a sales perspective, which I never thought would be an issue for me. But it's like, oh my gosh, picking up the phone to call somebody and and try and get them to to buy our product. Like, you know, it was terrifying. But you know, you you work through that fear, you overcome it, you jump over the hurdles, and you realize, okay, this isn't so bad. And that, and the same approach with investors, right? Like. You know, you just have the conversation. You approach them. You be honest. You tell your story, and at least from what I found last week, that is when the magic seems to happen. Especially if a very powerful story to coincide with that. Mm-hmm.
0: So, if you if you have a story or you're putting together your pitch or your pitch deck in your opinion, should that be something that's three minutes or less? Should it, you know, is the the size of the pitch or the small presentation as important as the messaging itself? You know, just for anyone who's listening and trying to come up with how they're going to sell this great yeah. idea, how do you do that effectively? Yeah, that's
1: a very good question. And humans are emotional beings right like we can claim all the live long day that logic and rational thinking is all that matters but when you really get down to it we're emotional and we make decisions based off of emotion how we feel and you can throw as many facts and figures and numbers and projections in a pitch deck or in a sales deck all the live long day But if you don't have a story that makes somebody feel something, you're probably going to have a hard time getting buy-in. And I'm not saying that like I have the best story ever, but I just so happen to have an experience in life that really allows me to hone in on the human problem that we're trying to solve. And that's really what business is, right? You're trying to solve problems for people, specifically human problems. So if you can really capture that, in your messaging more so than all the data and numbers and bullet points you can include in your pitch deck, you're going to have success. I've always been a fan of less is more, even when giving talks around the world. Like I've had people approach me they're like, you keep your slide decks really basic and not with a lot of information. I'm like, right. I'm like, because it's not about the slide deck. It's about the message and the story that I'm telling you to get the information across because that's what you're going to remember. And it's true. And that's a lot of the feedback I've gotten. So I think the more that you can weave that story and that message to create a true emotional connection with the people you're trying to get buy-in from. The more success you're going to have, keep your slide deck as simple as possible, truthfully. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's going to become more of a hindrance than helping you, I think, at some point.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. Let's talk a little bit about AI just in general. Um, We've talked a little bit about how you're using AI for some really positive outcomes. I know that there are some people well, let's put it this way. AI has gotten kind of a bad rap (laughs) a little bit, you know? (laughs) Um, And do you want to talk about that a little bit? What is, why is it getting the bad rap that it's getting when so much good can come of it? And how do you feel that Red Fox AI is um, doing only good with that um, type of technology?
1: Yeah, no, I love that question. And You know, AI is one of those things where it's gotten a lot of hype over the last few years, I think we can all agree, and unfortunately, when new technologies tend to get a lot of hype, the media, and I will say the media because they have a large hand in this, always focuses on the negative right so instead of reporting about some of the great advancements in artificial intelligence over the last 10 years in the healthcare space where we now have ai systems that can get to detect cancer at a 95 percent accuracy rate more than a doctor could that is a true advancement in medicine and you know so ai is being used for things like that but of course we're fed content that shows us, oh, AI is just going to take a bunch of jobs, or AI is manipulating you on social media, which, which it is. But you know, you got to take the good with the bad, and I think there's a lot more good out there when you start getting into the details of where AI is at as a technology and and what we've been able to do with it so far. And really, you know, I I think I find it very hard to believe when anybody says I don't think automation's going to affect jobs, or I don't think AI is going to change. It will. I mean. 2030 is going to look so radically different from where we're at now in the world of work. I mean, it's it's going to be mind-blowing because machines will probably be doing most what we once considered manual labor, and we're all going to have to adjust to that. And I think deep down, most people know that, and they're afraid. And, you know, it's a preservation response. You know, when we see massive change like that, we're trying to preserve ourselves. So the immediate response is fear, and I don't want anything to do with that. And then it's just the flames are fanned more by you know, media sources. So that's where the negative side of AI is, right? And I think we're seeing that happen. But again, you look at some of the positives that have come out of it in healthcare and even just how we're creating better technology to help people with it and how we're using it to explore space and just create such amazing discoveries with the power of computers. That's where I see the value. And I think once we get over some of these knee-jerk reactions that most people are having, that value is going to become clear. Now, we have to be very careful with AI, though, because we have a risk of making it biased, which I think more people need to be talking about 100%, because right. it's hard to train an AI system to truly help everybody when a majority of the data you're giving it is biased data. That's a whole separate discussion we could have for like three hours. And a big one. <laughs> right. Yes. But you know, I, I, that's a problem we need to overcome. But I, I truthfully think there is a lot more positive that is going to come out of the tech. And when we look at what we're doing at Red Fox AI, that's how we view it. We view it as a tool that is generating an immensely positive outcome for somebody. You know, with V Lab, it's powered by conversational AI. So our whole goal is to create a truly automated digital assistant that converses with you like anybody else would and helps you in the moment you need it most. Of course, handful of things that it's doing for the provider, too, to help them. But really, at the end of the day, it's supporting the patient and having a true conversation that you haven't really seen in the chatbot world or the conversational AI space to date. So that's how we view AI or conversational AI as we use it for Red Fox.
0: Well, and the benefits definitely outweigh mm-hmm. anything that would be seen as a risk. So that's great. You talked a little bit about how um, you really got your business going during the pandemic. I'd like to talk a little bit about one of the challenges that many leaders of organizations and startups face, um, and that is just you know burnout and working too many hours and no such thing as work-life balance and right. mental health and all of that good stuff. Um We have seen within the ecosystem in Madison, many people requiring more mental health care, really working on um, making sure to take care of themselves as well as their business. Can you talk a little bit about how you take care of yourself? What? Things are like for you when you're not working. Yeah. You know, what do you do for fun? Is there <laughs> any fun for a young CEO that's always yeah. on the go? What What does your work life balance look like?
1: Yeah, of course. And so I'll again, I'll, I'll start this by saying I was one of those people when I first started Red Fox back in 2016, where I thought I had to be working 24 seven. I would have my full time job that I would work at. I would come home and i would work until 9 10 11 o'clock and it was sustainable for a while but let's just say as time went on it started becoming unsustainable and i would say i really started breaking that pattern in late 2019 more that i mean i had a lot of people who started telling me like you you know you can have some time for yourself right like you don't need to be working 24/7 namely my best friend because he just has a a gift with getting all of his stuff done and then saving time for his, himself at the end of the day. So, however, I would I would be lying if I didn't say that trying to build a company in the very early stages does not require a lot of work. I mean, you have to you have to be committed and you have to understand that it's going to take a lot of hours. There will be days where you're working twelve to fifteen hours. There will be days where you're working less than eight maybe even less than that. And the beautiful thing is you can control that for yourself. Like if you say, I'm going to work 15 hours today, but tomorrow I'm only going to work three, you can do that. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. I think, you know, prior to the pandemic, there was this hustle culture that was going around on social media. And there's some good aspects to it, but I'm going to have to disagree with a lot of it too, because you need to enjoy yourself. You get. One experience on this rock floating through space and yes, you should be working on your passion project. You should be trying to grow what you want to grow, but at the same time, got to take a step back too. And it's funny I say that because I had such an opposite mindset at one point, but for me, you know, I, I like working out. Like sometimes it's hard for me to do, but you know, usually I get up at like five in the morning, I go to the YMCA right across the street from me, you know. to the gym do swimming that actually helps my mental state quite a bit and i like doing that and then usually during the week you know i the days i come into starting block i'm here usually around 7 a.m maybe leave at three or four o'clock take an hour to myself and then usually i'm back at my computer doing work until seven or eight but i always try to make sure i leave time to journal so i can get my thoughts out and I've been trying to get better at reading because I love reading growing up as a kid. And I started reading the Foundation series over again and some other business books that I got a hold of. So I really like to set aside time to do that. And then Friday nights, I always make sure to just have completely clear. So whether that's me playing a video game or socializing with friends um, on the computer, playing video games or meeting up with people and going to a restaurant or grabbing a drink or something like that because you need to have that but um, Saturday depends on on the week if I'm going to be working Sundays usually I'm always working as well um,
0: talk to me a little bit about the journaling what is that a creative outlet for you what is the is what are you doing when you're journaling
1: yeah so for me I am a very high anxiety person I have a lot going on in my head 24 7. And the journaling I learned when I used to attend therapy back in college, the therapist I was working with had me start doing that. And I, it, it, I, I learned very quickly it was a way for me to organize my thoughts and get them out of my head. <laughs> because if everything's just in there, it starts eating away at you because it just it keeps building and building and building and building. So I fell off of that for a bit. But you know over the last several months, I really got back into making sure that I try and journal at least every night for 30 minutes, or at least as long as it takes me to get everything out. So I can get everything out of my head, reflect on it, plan for the next day. And that's been really helpful. And if you're somebody like me who deals with high anxiety or depression or anything like that, I would highly recommend doing that.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a great strategy. Let's talk about your podcast. You're obviously very comfortable next to a microphone. <laughs> um, the Artificial Podcast, I've listened to it just a little bit. Really fantastic programming Thank you. and guests. How do you fit all of that in with everything else?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good question, and and I'll I'll be real. It's been hard, at least over the last several months, because of everything we've been working on with VLab and trying to grow the business and and gain customers and stuff. But I we got some new episodes in the pipeline, so we're kicking things back up. But you know, Brett and I started that in 2019, just because again, for me, I get my energy from helping educate people, and I figured. Podcasting is an excellent way to just bring in people, especially if you're a smaller podcast. You know, you get the bigger folks that make the rounds and everything, but I really wanted to try and focus on maybe some of the smaller people working in technology, you know, to share what they're doing. And, you know, we started out very voice focused, but then I opened it up more to AI and blockchain and I think there were even a couple episodes Brett and I did this year talking about, like, you know, the SpaceX Internet satellites and, you know, some of the other interesting things happening in technology right now. Because fundamentally, emerging technology, as I mentioned earlier, is reshaping our lives and 2030 is going to look nothing like 2021. So we need to understand what these are. And... If I can help educate more people and help more people understand what some of these emerging technologies are and how it's going to affect their lives. That just helps me live my truth and my mission more. So that's really the focus of our podcast. And I, you know, I hope to keep doing it, you know, it would it is the goal is as, as long as we can. So.
0: What's your process when you're trying to find guests? Are many people reaching out to you? Or are you reaching out mm-hmm. to them? And for people who are interested in starting their own podcast, and I could talk about some of my experiences too, but I'm interested in yours. How much time do you devote to this? And you know, what's the editing like and coming yeah, sure. up with the questions?
1: So I definitely will say we've gotten a much better process over the last few years than when we first started. Initially, it was me just kind of leveraging some of my connections from public speaking and people I knew on social media that I met in the voice and conversational AI space. So initially, it was me reaching out to a lot of people. But I must say, over the last several months, it's been a lot of people reaching out to us. Um, of course, I, I've i learned a couple of lessons in making sure to vet people, you know, especially when people are reaching out to you. But we have a lot of people reaching out to us now, which is great. And You know, our process is we, I start out by, you know, interview, I shouldn't say interviewing, but having like an intro chat with the guests first, just to kind of feel them out and see what we could talk about. And then it goes into our process of I prep our episode notes, come up with the questions, send it out to them in advance so they approve it. Um, we record the episode, that goes into our queue. Brett does all of the editing, so he edits that and polishes it up. And then our digital marketing manager takes care of scheduling all the social media and uploading it to our podcast platform and different stuff like that. So we've definitely gotten more organized over the years. Um, and I think especially if you're trying to do weekly episodes, you got to have a strict schedule. Um Moving forward, we're probably going to be doing bi weekly now. Just again, it's a time thing.
0: Yep, that's we, what we're doing. Yeah, so. we were
1: doing weekly. And again, just this year, it, it became super hard to do that. But, you know, it's also important with a podcast too. You have to commit and you have to have a consistent cadence with it. You know, there's some podcasts out there that maybe do once a month, you know, maybe a couple times a quarter. And if that's your cadence, great, but stick with it. Um, again, I've been, we've been somewhat bad with that over the last few weeks, but. You know, I I think moving to a new system for us where we can do it every other week while maintaining high quality content with people we bring on the show and even Brett and I just kind of talking about some of the things happening emerging tech I think will keep it going for quite a while. In fact, we recently just signed a media partnership with an organization out in Asia um, that I went to go their conference. I went to go speak at and. Uh, 2019 and we have a media partnership with them now so they're going to give us some promotion and we're going to do some interviews with their folks they're a prop tech based organization that runs this massive conference for Asia Um, so yeah
0: oh that's great congratulations thank you one of the things that I think is most educational for folks who are a little bit nervous about making mistakes as new CEOs or new CFOs um in the entrepreneurial space it's great to hear from others who have made mistakes who've learned from the mistakes and then succeeded in spite of the mistakes what's the biggest mistake that you've made on this journey and how did you fix it
1: not understanding how the irs works and everything that goes into filing the paperwork for your company Uh, As a matter of fact, we were handed a very hefty fine a couple years ago because I missed a deadline on some paperwork that I had no idea the deadline existed. Luckily, I was able to call the IRS and they had a one-time abatement program that I took advantage of. But I would say the biggest mistakes I've made thus far is (laughs) filing the paperwork and the tax side of running a business because... Unless you're doing it, nobody teaches you that, right? I mean, I think we, you know, I I would definitely say we can have a greater degree of financial literacy and basic, you know, understanding of taxes in the U.S. alone, but especially when you're trying to form an LLC or a corporation. I mean, it's just a whole different ballgame. Um, I would recommend you, if you don't know a good accountant, find one um, who knows a lot about the tax system and and can help you. We've very much lucked out in that department, but the biggest mistakes I've made has usually been when it comes to understanding, setting up a business, dealing with the IRS and taxes, um, and I think also, to underestimating how long everything takes. That's where I failed a lot, too, because my mindset is I got to keep moving very quickly and all this has got to get done and everything, and then sometimes I've set myself deadlines or I've told customers something's going to be ready by this time just because... You know, I'm under the impression that it can get done by then. And then I go talk with Brett and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, he's like, can't just snap your fingers and make stuff happen. I'm like, but I want it to. Um, so you've got to be very cognizant of how long it actually takes to get things done. And of course, when you're in the project management phase of whatever you're doing, allocating that time appropriately, because it is almost a 100% certainty, whatever you're working on will take Three to five times longer than you initially think it will, so that's where I failed as well. But again, with all those, you just got to bounce back quick, learn from it, and, and keep going.
0: How do you and how does Red Fox AI give back to the community in Madison um, into the entrepreneurial ecosystem? Do you do mentoring internships? What are some of the things that you do to to give back and help to educate?
1: Yeah. And I I would like to say, I wish we could be doing more. It's, you know, when you're a smaller company, you know, you always have these goals of how can we give back to the community that's given us so much and, and the people who've given us support. Um, luckily, we've done a couple of internships. We brought on a new intern recently, actually. Um, we also, I did some volunteering for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society um, over this past year. Again, wish I could have done a bit more, just because things pop up, but it was nice to be able to get involved in a local organization like that again and and see the impact that their work is having on, you know, childhood leukemia, adult leukemia, and different lymphomas and everything like that. Um, so that's some of the things we've been involved so far. I, I definitely would like to do more mentorship and get involved in different programs like that. I have done pro bono speaking throughout Madison just because the community has given us so much. I wanna give back, you know, to different groups as well if um, the knowledge that we've been able to gain and, and share that with others. So a lot on our roadmap, I'd love to do a lot more and, and we'll get there. But yeah, those are some of the things we've done so far.
0: What's next for you? What's, what's the big project in the next 12 months?
1: Ain't that a question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> get out your crystal ball.
1: Right. I mean, truthfully, our whole goal is to grow. Our whole goal is to get our first flagship customer, which there is a chance we may in the next few months, and it it would be it would be a game-changing customer if we were able to get them. But our whole goal is to grow and really start deploying vLab and getting the product into the hands of customers to show people why we are solving this problem and how it can be solved with this really innovative technology and create positive human outcomes for people. So over the next 12 months, our goal is 10 customers. Cross my fingers, I, I wanna get there at all costs and, and, and really just focus on scaling the business and, and really helping more people to fulfill that mission that we've set out on is what I what I hope to happen over the next 12 months and what's next. And really, I just hope events start coming back cause I wanna start traveling again. Like the hardest part for me through the pandemic is not getting the opportunity to speak as much as I once was. That's what fills me up and allows, you know, positive things to spill over into other areas of my life. So I really hope events start coming back and I can start speaking more.
0: Nick, can you tell listeners how to get in touch with you? What's, what's your website? How do they find your podcast?
1: Sure. So you can, I'm addicted to email. So always reach out to me at uh, nick.myers at redfox com. If you're interested in learning more about what we do and our VLab uh, digital assistant, you can head to redfox aicom And then of course, if you're interested in taking a listen to the Artificial Podcast, you can go to theartificialpodcast.com or find us anywhere you listen to podcasts.
0: Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to chat with you.
1: Thank you, Nora. This was awesome. I really enjoyed doing this. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Innovate 608 podcast. What's the most innovative thing you've done this week? Record a message all about your innovation and send it to us in an email at Innovate608 at StartingBlockMadison.org. Be sure to check out the Starting Block Madison Facebook page for video clips and episode outtakes. Remember innovators, do one thing every day that is slightly outside of your comfort zone. That's where the magic happens. Thanks so much to the American Family Insurance Institute for Corporate and Social Impact for sponsoring this episode. See you next time.